Hello and welcome to this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson and I'm here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetenham. James, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond? I most certainly am, Rob. It's always a pleasure to speak to you, so I can't wait for an hour of Salford Sporting Chat. Yeah, also joining us, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil in the Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond? Certainly, Rob. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to speak to you, mate, and I get to do it twice a week normally. So, for, <laughs> so yeah, I'm looking forward to the show, mate. Looking forward to speaking to both of you. Yeah, for your sins, Paul, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure as always, mate. Yeah. Um, so let's start, James. It's Wimbledon weekend. Wimbledon week, sorry. Uh, big tournament uh, in the UK, uh, and you've been speaking to one of its greats. I most certainly have, Rob. As you say, Wimbledon season has finally arrived. And if I said the catchphrase, you cannot be serious, would that mean anything to you? Hey, you cannot be serious that we, you've got this guy on our show, James. Absolutely. Mr. John McEnroe, one of the greatest tennis players of all time, an American sports legend, a three-time Wimbledon singles champion, a five-time Wimbledon doubles champion, a great player. And Rob, when we said he was going to be on the show before we started recording earlier today, you were thrilled to have him on board. A great player, a great rivalry beyond Borg, and somebody that we're delighted to have on the show. Yeah, great player in his time, great commentator, analyses the game fantastically, James, and uh, we're looking forward to, to hearing him speak. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by one of the greatest tennis players of all time, a three-time Wimbledon singles champion, and I'm excited to get real stance on this year's competition. But firstly, I want to go back the years to 1980, have a little look at your career. And in sport, we've had some incredible rivalries from Ali and Fraser, Real Madrid-Barcelona, but you and Bjorn Borg was a pretty special one. So I want to look back on that rivalry. Could you tell me a little bit about what it was like to play alongside him and how your personality blended for such an intense, amazing fixture? Well, actually, our personalities were quite similar off the court, but obviously totally opposite on the court. So I had to be more careful playing him because everything I did was magnified that much more because he never said anything or virtually even changed an expression. So that made it sort of tricky to figure out how to navigate that in a way. Uh, but in, in the end of the day, it actually probably helped me because it sort of, once I got to that point, like the 1980 Wimbledon final, I felt like I could just go out and play tennis that the other stuff was sort of put aside and I could just go out there and, you know, mano a mano and see, you know, see who was going to come out on top. And ironically that match is, uh, even though I lost it, it's a match that people come up to me a hundred times more than any any other match I ever played. So I'm I'm proud that I was part of that. Um, I learned a lot from that, and uh, it was an incredible experience that 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 particular match. And when you went on, obviously, to win the following year, what was that like to get one over on him? Obviously, him beating you the year before, and then picking up your first Wimbledon title. Well, I, he had won five in a row by that point, so everyone was going to try to go after him. Um, it was even more sweet if I could play him and beat him, which ended up happening. Um, but I was sort of, you know, in a, there was all types of things, frenzy around me. Some of it was self-inflicted. Other I felt like was unfair. The press was on me. So, it, you know, by that point in 81, when I played him, I felt like, if I ever win this thing, I'm never coming back because I just there's so much going on sort of that it felt a little bit overwhelming um, until I won the match and, you know, sort of hit that volley and, and won Wimbledon for the first time. And for that minute or so, felt like I could fly out of the stadium. 
And then I remember thinking, like, uh, I, I definitely want to win this again. So, you know, I went from I'm not coming back to I got to try to do this again because that feeling was so, so intense. It's crazy because looking at your run in that tournament, there was the Are You Serious moment, which is so iconic and is so memorable for so many tennis fans. So how do you reflect on your journey throughout that competition? Obviously, you mentioned there that there were some struggles, there were some tough times, but you came out and prevailed. Well, you just said it. I said you cannot be serious once in a 15-year career, and it's amazing if a day goes by where someone doesn't say that to me. Even you know, I'm in Paris right now. Uh, they, someone will come up to me and say it. Um, not always an American. So um, it's uh, at first it was like how the how the people only want to sort of rehash that, and then it ended up that I, ironically it became almost sort of like a mantra in a way, and uh, it was sort of uh, if I didn't, you know, I played 25 years on a seniors cha- a champions tour and. If I went through a match and didn't say it, people were disappointed. So it was sort of bizarre. I mean, in certain ways, it was a little pathetic to me, for, for me. But then, it, you know, I tried to turn lemons into lemonade, honestly. And, um, and, and I think I did, you know. And people, uh, it's sort of, looking back, it's, it sort of feels like people think I did it all the time. Like, when you were a kid, you were doing that. No, I wasn't. Um, but... That was the first round match, ironically, in 1981, where it was said. And it's sort of like the rest is history. You, you hear that cliche, but in this case, it was true. 42 years later, I'm still talking about it. It's amazing that we're able to discuss this today so many years on. And obviously, everybody remembers that moment. But you went on to win Wimbledon singles two more times in 1983, 1984. How do you look back on those two wins? And what did they mean to you in the context of the first win? Oh, Wimbledon's like the mother of all tennis events. I mean, for me also, obviously, the U.S. Open, because I grew up in New York City. I was a ball boy. But as a kid growing up, you'd look on the TV and you'd see the All England Club and you'd see this amazing spectacle. So it was it was like a dream to get there. So once you become one of the top players in the world, obviously for everyone, it's a goal, you know, try to somehow pick up that trophy. So... Um, my game was well suited to to that court, and you know I had a run where I was in five in a row. So I felt like you know it was quite a bit of that time. I felt like I was the best, and you know if you're the best, you got to prove it. And so I was able to do that. I lo- I lost a couple really tough ones in the final as well, and then you know later on in my career, I had difficulty, never even got back to a final again. So those were certainly the high points of my career, particularly '84. That was the best year I ever had. Um, and it all came together for me there. But um, each one of those, obviously, when you win three, uh, are very, very special. Absolutely. And you touched on growing up in New York there. I wondered if you could expand on that potentially, because I know that your father was in the military. So I wanted to know if being around him and growing up alongside him impacted your mentality in any way and made you the winner that you were. Well, I'm sure that uh, any person that grows up, you know, is impacted pretty greatly by their family, their parents. And I'm no different than anyone else. I think I grew up in a family of sort of high achievers and, you know, perfectionists, I guess you could say. And I sort of became that became one myself, or maybe I was one from the beginning. It's hard to know. My mom used to tell me that uh, I'd cry when I, if I didn't get an A on my, you know, second grade history course. Uh, So I don't recall that. I don't know if I was that sort of 
you know, shook up by things like that. But um, she, she, she would often tell me things like that, show me my report card. And, you know, John was very upset that he didn't get this. So you fast forward to something that you've sort of been striving for. And my dad was my biggest supporter, but he was also, you know, like you can do it. And, you know, this is your, your destiny or whatever he, he, he may be saying, but he said it in a rather loud voice, like you can do it. You know, he'd be, everything was, you know, quite loud. So to me, that was normal. Um, so when I came to England for the first time, there was such a drastic change. I'm like, wow, they're so polite here. This is incredible. Um, they just act differently. And so it was like a clash, but it made it in a way more, more interesting in the end. Although at the time it was a bit, a bit much to bear at times, but, um, certainly, um, I, I always tell the story in my, after my dad left the air force, he eventually went to law school and he came in, you know, second out of 500 people in the law class as he graduated. My mom was, was saying, why didn't you come in first? So that was sort of the way the McEnroe family grew up, you know, I'm the oldest of three. So I probably got more of the brunt of it because you're the first child takes it, takes it a little more up the, on the chin, you know, in that respect. No, they absolutely do. And it goes to show because you not only did it amazingly in the singles, but in the doubles as well, a multiple time Wimbledon doubles champion. So can you tell me about what that meant to you, how it compared to winning the singles and what it meant to hold the number one ranking in both of those? I, um, basically, doubles to me was was a release of, you know, some of the pressure, you know, like I, my, one of my best friends was Peter Fleming. And sometimes, like, for example, uh, the first year I played as a pro in 78, uh, I lost first round. So, and we ended up getting in the finals of the doubles. So that was sort of a way to sort of, you know, help you get over the pain of losing. And that's, to me, how I viewed doubles. I also felt like doubles helped my skills as a singles player. And it was in lieu of practicing. Um, that would be, to me, um, better to go play matches and doubles own my craft, you know, returning, serving. So that's how that worked. Um, so the doubles actually for a long time really helped my singles. And it was, you know, it was something I was very proud of because I wanted to represent the players in doubles as well because now doubles like, do you even know who's playing pretty much? So it's, you know, sort of a time gone by. And the final part of your, your question, who's going to win Wimbledon? You know, right now, to me, uh, Djokovic is, you know, the guy that you'd have to pick that's going to win Wimbledon because he understands how to play on grass better than, say, Alcaraz does right now or some of the other top players that are battling it out in, in, in uh, Paris right now. So he certainly comes in with a decided edge. I think Alcaraz is an electric player that, you know, I absolutely love watching and I, he'll figure it out. And he may figure it out this year, but at the moment, you know, I would have, I took Alcaraz as a slight favorite in France. I would switch it in Wimbledon. So that was John Mackerel talking to yourself, James. You know, what a, what, what a great, you know, person he was talking to you all about Wimbledon. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. I mean, Djokovic is his pick to win the whole thing. Obviously a great player in his own right, but McEnroe back in the day, what a marvelous player he was. He had a real attitude. He was the maverick, he was the bad boy, he was the person who made tennis cool. So it was fantastic to have him on the show and hopefully one day in the future we'll speak to him again. But I imagine, Rob, as a big tennis fan yourself, you must be looking forward to this. Yeah, fantastic. Two weeks of sport, James, on the grass, 
all the strawberries and the champagne and the cream and, you know, pure English heritage there and sport, which we all really enjoy. Uh, on Obviously, on the BBC, we're all really thrilled that, you know, we're going to be settling down for the next two weeks watching uh, this fantastic sporting theatre un- unveil itself in front of us. Now, you mentioned a sweet treat there, Rob. Will you be on the uh, on the set eating some strawberries and cream watching this? Yes, James. I think it's part of the heritage. It's part of the, the thing that makes tennis fans tick. That and the athleticism of the players, you know, the males and the females, you know, playing fantastic tennis, James. And uh, especially Wimbledon with the grass, different kind of uh, surface. Ball doesn't travel as fast uh, and it makes the, the players work that a little bit harder. Yeah, most certainly. Obviously, McEnroe said that he thinks Djokovic is going to win this, Rob. But who are the favourites and who are you picking? Yeah, I'm not going to argue with uh, with, with uh, McEnroe. Uh, I think Djokovic is a clear favourite in the ladies' uh, competition. Iga Sikvic is uh, his favourite in the ladies' competition. The contenders, though, Carlos Abligavs uh, is uh, one of the male contenders, as well as uh, Taylor Fritz and Seb Cordia. Uh, they could be really contending with Djokovic, but you're hoping, obviously, they get a chance, but we can't look past Djokovic. You know, what a great player he's been in his career, uh, and I'm sure he'll be uh, looking to add uh, another Wimbledon title to his uh, list of already uh, competition wins. Absolutely, Rob. Are there any Brits to look out for? Yeah, there's, a f- there's four. Usual, Andy Murray, obviously. Father Time is catching up with him, so... Do we think he'll get all the way to the to the to the centre court? Possibly not. But Cameron Norrie, who is the English British number one, he could be a, a real contender. But as always with the with the Brits, it's always getting out of that first round in it that they always seem to struggle. Ladies side, you got Katie Bolter and Emma Raducanu. Emma Raducanu won the US Open. Uh, you know the big headline act there. Struggled this year though with injuries, and uh, you're kind of hoping that they can uh, she can find some form. Uh, in front of the uh, the British fans uh, and uh, possibly get to the, another centre court final. Absolutely, Rob. I think we're all looking forward to it. And now I believe we're going to be moving on to the world of football. Yeah, let's talk football, James. And you're off on your holiday travels following your beloved Preston. Uh, tell us where you're off. I am, Rob. I'm not off to anywhere glamorous. I am off to the world of Benidorm. Preston North End will be playing in Spain. It's a dream trip to go away with your club. I know that you and Paul have both done it in France with Salford Red Devil. So fantastic for you, lads. This is a big one for Preston North End. We're actually playing Bruno's Magpies, who are a Gibraltar side. Not one that I've particularly heard of, but I imagine Bruno and the rest of the Magpies will be willing to give us a real good go. So I'm looking forward to this one, Rob. Yeah. Super exciting, travelling away, following your team. Uh, Paul, any little tidbits of stories you can tell us without having us to rested? About watching Salford abroad? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, my plane got cancelled about, uh, when was that, about 14 years ago, 13 years ago. So I had to hitchhike to Spain and miss a day at work to get back again because... Uh, a well-known budget airline let me down, but other than that, I've, en- I've always enjoyed it going at- going away from home. And I'm going again this time at the end of July to watch Salford over in Catalan. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's a great trip. I mean, James, I'm sure you'll have a great time going abroad watching your team. It's it's very very exciting. Yeah, 
my advice, James, for you uh, would be drink plenty of water and eat plenty of food and make sure that you know where your hotel is. Because I remember the first time I went to uh, Barcelona on my way to Perpignan to watch over for the first time, uh, I got lost and a rogue taxi driver took me all around Barcelona. So just make sure that if you stayed in a hotel um, or a B&B, make sure you know where it is and don't get uh, fleeced by the local taxi drivers. Well, I bear that in mind, Rob. I imagine in Benidorm they'll be taking all opportunities to rid me of my hard-earned cash. Um, it's obviously going to be an incredible experience. You'd imagine Benidorm, a place that uh, is quite well-renowned for its nightlife in all sorts of different areas. The less said about that, probably the better. But Benidorm, <laughs> a fantastic place. I can't wait to get out there, Rob. Yeah, talking about uh, fleecing of cash, uh, Manchester United's goalkeeper, David De Gea, has become a free agent. There is the word on the street, James, is Manchester United offered him a contract, then took it away and then brought back a new one with less money, which isn't good, uh, good, uh, good, uh, you know, behaviour in my opinion. It's not, and it's disrespectful to a man that has been at a club since the Sir Alex Ferguson days, our longest standing player. David De Gea is a great at this club, whether people like it or not. And to disrespect him like that for me, Rob, is pretty disgusting. It is a terrible decision. Obviously, you know, Manchester United are looking for a new goalkeeper to come in. Um, obviously, now with De Gea now a free agent, it could be anybody now. Maybe tempt him back or bring someone new in. I mean, I know that we're after the Inter Milan keeper, aren't we? And he's a very good player. He's been fantastic for, for Inter throughout this season. David De Gea, obviously, I wouldn't mind having him back. Obviously, some of the fans are against him and have been for several years. But at his best, the truly aren't many better goalkeepers on the planet, Rob. And over the years, he has made some incredible saves. He's kept us in more games than I can count. And if this is the end for David De Gea, I hope the fans thank him. I hope they give him the respect he deserves because at his best, Rob, he was a truly phenomenal player. Yeah, he was a great player, but Ten Hag has his own philosophies and he's looking to bring someone who wants to play football from the back. That was David De Gea's obvious weakness. We've all talked about that and we previously, but... We'll have to wait and see what happens. Money will come into that. Talk about new faces coming into Old Trafford, James. Mason Mount has agreed to come to Manchester United. Chelsea and Manchester United agreed a deal of £55 million plus £5 million add-ons. Uh, what do you think of that deal? Yeah, it's a very interesting one, isn't it, with, uh, with him? He's a great player, great midfielder. I think he'll do a lot of work for Manchester United. I think Mason Mount is somebody who we've wanted for quite a while, so I'm happy to see him in the side. Obviously, we've got some good midfielders anyway in the likes of Casemiro, but with Fred, McTominay, etc., you imagine we did need that backup to be a better player than them to go into this first team. I'm happy to see Mason Mount at the club. I'm glad we've got him. Yeah, obviously United's midfield needed strengthening. He'll come in. He's played for England 36 times. He's only 24, James, as well. So he has uh, time on his side to develop into a top, top player. Um, and that's what Man United need. They need strength in that midfield and he'll bring that to the game. Yeah, he most certainly will. Mason Mount, as, as we've just said, a player we've wanted for a while. Somebody who Eric Ten Hag has handpicked. Somebody who he believes can make Manchester United better. Let's not forget that the Dutchman has only had a year to improve this club. With another one on top of this, who knows what damage he can do. And I think Mason Mount is one of those players who's going to play a pivotal role in taking Manchester United forward. Yeah, the reason Manchester United have been able to throw £60 million at Chelsea for Mason Mount is because their annual revenue stream has gone up to £630 million from £590 million 
last season, James. You know, it's telephone numbers really for, for any football club, but Manchester United's a, a special case. Yeah, it most certainly is. I mean, Manchester United in recent years have had some financial troubles. It's good to see that we are on the rise, that the fan base is still there, that we're still generating revenue. It's good that we're able to sign players like Mason Mount because with the sort of financial discrepancies in this country, with Manchester City having so much money to play with, and obviously they utilise that to win the treble, we do need to make it an even playing field. And I think that this financial status that we're at at the moment is, is on the way to doing that. Yeah, Manchester United's debt has gone up to 203 million from 102 million in March 22. Obviously, with the the way the world is, with all the interest rates and everything, it's uh, going to be a tough time uh, for Manchester United, whoever owns the club, to try and reduce that. Yeah, yeah, most certainly. It's not the easiest task in the world, but obviously, this is Manchester United Football Club. You'd imagine you'd like it to be done. Obviously, the business side of the club hasn't been run well. For a while now, even though there are obviously some some signs of improvement, what what do you think of this at the moment, Rob? Well, it's a it's a it's a concern. Obviously, I think in the tough times you need to make sure that you fix. In, in the, sorry, the good times you need to make sure you fix the roof. And when the the financial uh, you know status of the club, we all know what the problem is. You know, with the with the way uh, the buyout was structured with the loans and now the interest rates are being hiked. It means that there's, they're having to pay more back, which is a problem for uh, the current owners of Manchester United. But you're hoping if the current owners decide to, to sell Man United on to, to another owner, then a new owner might come in with a bit of money, be able to clear the debt and we can go from there. Because that's what it's all about. You need to make sure that your, your club is stable enough with money. Because the way football is, you can't, you can't really carry debt. You need to be able to have spending power. And these uh, potential new owners have that. And you're just kind of hoping that the deal can get done quick. You do have that, Rob. I mean, I'm still concerned about new owners that we're potentially bringing in. And the thing is, Rob, I don't want us to end up like Manchester City, a club that works off the money, a project almost. Manchester United has always had a soul, a heart, and I want it to keep that. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens in the next uh, couple of months, obviously with the season coming up. Talking about Man City, one of their coaches, Rodio Borrell, has left. He was at Man City for nine years, uh, Paul. He's gone to uh, Austin FC uh, as sporting director. One of our, obviously, Pep Guardiola's uh, generals behind the scenes making decisions. I think it'll be a loss uh, for Pep, him departing. Well, yeah, I think it'd be a loss for him if he, if he, you know, he's worked with him for a while. And I know Pep's coaching team is pretty close, isn't it? But I'm sure he's got it covered. You know, Pep Guardiola, who's got, you know, other people there. I'm sure somebody else will come in. I don't think Manchester City will go without, will they? So, yeah, it's a loss when you lose somebody that's been close to you and he's helped you out. But I'm sure Manchester City have got replacements in uh, in order. And uh, like I said, they won't they won't go short, will they? No, no. They've been throwing the money around. In the off-season, they've signed Matteo Kotovic uh, from Chelsea. James, 29, is a midfielder. Obviously, one of the best midfielders in Europe as it is, so we're only going to add to that class. He is. He's a great player, isn't he? He's a great, great player. I remember watching him play for Croatia. I mean, he teams up with Luka Modric there extremely well. I think he's just yet another addition to this fantastic Manchester City side. And the idea of him feeding balls through to Erling Haaland is, is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see you know, who Pep brings in, Paul, because obviously European champions now, treble winners. You know, there's expectation uh, now that 
this team goes up, up and away. Yeah, well, when you, you've won the treble like that, I mean, where do you go next season? I mean, anything less than winning the treble again is 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 a failure, isn't it? It's not as good. So Manchester City have got to win trophies again next year. Otherwise, they'll, they'll be scrutinised, won't they, um, by the press and by the supporters. So a lot of pressure on. You know, you want to have another good season, but you can see them having another good season. You know, look at the way they won that Champions League. They, not to say they won it at a canter, but they was comfortably the, the, the best team in the competition by a mile, weren't they? And you expect them to be there or thereabouts again. You'll look at the Premiership. You'd like to think there'll be other teams that challenge as well and make it a good competition, but you've got to look, you can't look past Manchester City at the moment. They look like the, the strongest side in Europe. Yeah, going to be very interesting to see what happens in the off season. Obviously, teams wheeling and dealing. We'll be talking all about that on the Sports Zone when they manage to get sign ins over the line. So that's our football chat. And now we're going to be talking boxing with James and Paul. Well, Paul, it's been a big week for the heavyweight division. Let's kick it off with Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder. We were talking last week about them going different routes, taking on Dillian White and Andy Ruiz, respectively. Those fights could still happen, and there's been developments in one of those cases. But firstly, in December, it's allegedly been agreed that these two men have done a deal with the Saudi Arabians, and the fight will be happening out there. Be great news if it does. I think it'll be tremendous. It'll be a good fight. We spoke about this thing last week, didn't we? And uh, you said you've got two, you know, you know, box office fighters there. Fighters have probably been in the shadows of other fighters recently. You know, you know, defeats on their career. But this, this could be a fight that could launch one of them or the winner of it into, you know, propel them into to massive things. And it's a fight that I think the general public want to see. You know, on both sides of the Atlantic. So, so let's hope it's not just a rumor and it does get done. Absolutely. Before that. Anthony Joshua and Dillian Wyatt. We spoke about that fight a little bit last week. The contracts have supposedly been signed for August 12. What do you make of this? Is it still a fight that draws you in? And is it a banana skin for Anthony Joshua ahead of Wilder in December? Or is it an easy fight for him at this stage? I think if I was Anthony Joshua, I'd be using that fight as, you know, not as a, as a warm-up fight, but as a, as a sort of a sharpening my tools fight. I mean, it'd be a very, very tough fight against Dylan White. I think it'd be an absolute war, that one. You know, um, Dylan White, he's going to, you know, throw the kitchen sink at Anthony Joshua like he did last time. And, and I don't think Anthony Joshua was boxing as well as he did last time. He's not that demolition man that he was the last time the two guys met. He's had defeats. He's shown vulnerabilities. Um, but if he's going to get in with someone like Deontay Wilder, I think the fight with White is the perfect sort of, I don't want to say warm-up fight, but I think you need your body needs that, um, that, 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 that brutal going over that White would give you to prepare you for, for, for someone like Deontay Wilder. You don't want to go into a fight like that half-cooked, so I think that the White fight, that's no disrespect to him. You can't overlook Dylan White, though. I mean, you go in there underbaked against him and, and he'll turn you over. So if he's to make these two fights, he's got two you know, really tough missions in front of him there, Anthony Joshua. And looking at Wada Ruiz, that fight is in a stumbling stage right now. The Mexican wants a 50-50 split. Is he worth that? Um, I think, yeah, I think, I don't see why not. I think Ruiz has, has, has proved, I think, over the last couple of years that he's a, he's a top, top fighter. And, you know, he can he bring the support in as well. You know, he gets a lot of support following him. And I think he's, He's boxed really well, you know. His his victory against Joshua was a, a tremendous one. So, um, sorry, we have to edit that out. Don't no, carry on. Oh, sorry. So, yeah, I, thought, I, think, I thought you farted there, Rob. 
Got it. I think about that. <laughs> Ellie, Ellie's apologised. She just sneezed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, no, no. So um, yeah, I, th- I think Ruiz has, has earned the respect and, and and what have you. And I think that'd be a really good fight that for him. You know, he's somebody that's probably you know gone off the radar a little bit, but he's still a very very dangerous fighter. And he said this week, this is Deontay Wilder, this is a quote, Andy Ruiz only has a fourth grade education. This is a thing that came across my ears. They pulled him out and wanted him to box. If it's true, it's a shame on their parents using him as a boxing slave. He's a 33-year-old with a fourth grade mind. Deontay Wilder's always been a trash talker. Ruiz, not so much. How do you think he'll react to that? I think Andy Ruiz is that sort of fighter that'll... They just as he's talking in the ring, he he never. I mean, even the Joshua fight, you know, people looked at him when you look at the the shape of him, and I think he's one of those guys that people underestimate. You know, he doesn't look like the you know the the Adonis that maybe Anthony Joshua looks or Deontay Wilder. You know, the the physique of him, he doesn't have that sort of physique. And I think you know you never judge a book by its cover in boxing, and and I think you know Joshua did that first time in a ways and. Maybe Deontay Wilder's fallen into that trap as well, but he'll do his talking in the ring. He's a quality boxer, and um, I think Deontay Wilder, he likes to, to talk the talk, doesn't he? But uh, if he gets in there with Ruiz, he'll know about it. It won't be a pushover fight, that. He most certainly will. It's an interesting one, and I think we're all looking forward to it. Tyson Fury, it's seeming as if he's going to be getting back in the ring to fight former UFC heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou. This is sort of dreaded news for a lot of fans, and while it may have a degree of appeal to a, to a casual market, it probably won't add all to the hardcore fans. Rui, uh, this isn't so much a, a Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather, it, it is just simply two big men. There's not going to be much trash up there. Ngarni speaks very little English, not one that we were particularly calling for. And Fury, who's been rumoured to be fighting Usyk and Joshua and Zhang, and Jay Apatia, all these big names gradually going Dallas scale of what we'd want to see the most to then this, it, it just adds another nail into the coffin of his credibility with the fans. Yeah, you just, you just wonder why. I mean, you just wonder why he's going down that road. I mean, give the, the, the boxing fans and the supporters and the public and you know the people who want to see the fights, give them what they want. I mean, you just mentioned there um, Mayweather and, and McGregor. I mean, to me, that was a, a complete farce. I mean, it wasn't you know, the, the two, you know, guys who are experts in their field, but the the the, the match up together, it, it just it just didn't gel for me. It's just it's just manufactured sort of circus. So no, I, I think Tyson Fury needs to get his head out of the clouds. I mean, he just seems to be floating along and getting older, not you know, being inactive. And there's 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 massive fights out there. You we've mentioned we've talked about you know, three or four fighters there, you know, that's a Ruiz, Deontay Wilder, Alexander Rusi, Anthony Joshua. You know, we're naming the fighters here. He's not tested himself against against them. So, you know, why, you know, he has against Wilder, but, you know, he's not for Anthony Joshua, he's not for Usyk. So, you know, test yourself against the best. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out with Tyson Fury and how so many fans are gradually turning against him. But somebody who's always had the support of the fans is Joe Joyce, the juggernaut, a man who was pretty much unmovable, one of the greatest chins we've seen in the business until he met Big Bang Zilly Zhang, who ended the fight in the sixth round last time out. Joyce unable to cope with the size, the southpaw stance, the accuracy, and ultimately he simply couldn't beat Zhang. 
The Gorgon head-to-head again in a big rematch on September the 21st at Wembley Arena. Looking at this one, Paul, straight off the bat, we spoke about the styles here. Is Zhang just all wrong for Joe Joyce? Well, what Joe Joyce needs to do in, in, in his camp is he needs to get plenty and plenty of sparring. Just just spar southpaws. That's all you need to do. And he needs to get you know used to that, you know, facing a southpaw because it's totally different. You know, it's it's very difficult if you if you've not fought many of them. Um, before and you've not sparred many many southpaws to get your head round that you, you've got to be right and especially when someone as big as Zhang you know the, the power he possesses and um, you know, the, the powerful jab he's got as well in the backhand you know he needs to he needs to really up his game again so I think it's a fight he can win though I, I don't think there's any doubt about that we, we've mentioned his chin before and you know I think he's got the age difference as well so and the speed difference as well I think he's a lot quicker but uh, when you're fighting someone as big as that, it only takes you to, to get one mistake, you know, one one opportunity for Zhang and he's in there and you're out of there. So, so yeah, I, I think he's got to uh, leave no stone unturned in this camp for him to, uh, to to beat Zhang. But it should be a good rematch. Stylistically, at this stage of his career and with his particular style, is there anything Joe Joyce can change? Um, I don't, I don't know it. I don't think I'd like him to change. Really, he's a very exciting fighter. He's a, he's, he's a fighter that's got a terrific chin. We've, we've all said that, you know, in his previous fights before Zhang, he'd been hit that many times, you know, flush and just never seemed to bat an eyelid, did he? So, I mean, you can't coast that in, in a in a boxer that that chin, can you? I mean, there's been great fighters before who've not had that, and it's become their downfall. So, you know, what you don't want is your fighter to 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 go out and take needless you know needless shots on the chin. You know, trying to be brave and you know proving that you've got a, you know you want to get your defence right. So sometimes when you've got that that chin, you tend to not work on your defence as much because you take it for granted that you can just walk through things. So you don't want him to be like that. You want him to box a bit smarter. So I think boxing a bit more clever. You know, boxing off that back foot and and making Zhang work. You know, he's a big man, so let him work. You know, work him around the ring. Don't just stand there like a tree in front of him. You know, you know, let him let him move. You know, you move him round, and you dictate the pace of the fight. I think if he dictates the pace of it, he should get the measure of it. Fantastic. And now looking onto the card that we had at the Manchester Arena over the weekend, Savannah Marshall is now an undisputed world champion. Were you impressed with the performance? I was, yeah, I was really impressed. I mean, her opponent looked looked a lot bigger, didn't she? After the the weigh-in, she um, looked heavier and, and stronger at the weight, but Marshall was quick and. When, when she got her punches together, her combinations were good, they were slick, they were fast, and she had plenty of power there as well, and, you know, plenty of energy about her, and she probably could have done, you know, 15, 16 rounds, to be honest with you, the, the fitness was there, and um, I thought she was, the, the judges got it bang on, unanimous decision, and, and it was a good performance as well, you know, she probably would have liked to get the stoppage, but, you know, I, I thought it was a very, very, very impressive performance against a good fighter. And now it's looking like she's going to be going down the route of a Clarissa Shields rematch. She was there last night. She was trash-talking, as ever, the quote, as she calls herself. Is this a rematch you'd like to see? And obviously, we were speaking off air earlier that the first fight was was sort of quite quite heavily favoured towards Shields. She won it quite easily. Is there anything that can happen differently in a rematch? Yeah, I think so. I mean... Savannah Marshall, if you asked her, she'd be desperate for that rematch. I think, you know, it's a massive fight against, as you said, one of the, the, the best um, female fighters in the world. And she likes to call herself, but I think she, she backs that up, doesn't she, in the ring. So, 
you know, Savannah Marshall will want to to erase that and, and, and you know create her own legacy, won't she? She can do that by by winning that rematch, but it's going to be a, a very very hard job. But I think that's what you're going to sport for, don't you? To test yourself. Nobody ever sort of got anywhere by by ducking challenges, did they? Just just hiding away and saying they don't want to do that. I'm pretty sure she'll she'll want to test herself and and go back on that. And like you said, the first first fight. Yeah, it was heavily weighted against her. Really, she she probably didn't get anywhere near Shields. She won won the majority of the rounds, and and, and a class showed in that. So she got to got have to up her game. But I think she's got the talent to do that. So um, I, I think it'd be a different a different story this time. You still have to go with Shields, but I think it'd be a lot closer. But hopefully, Savannah Marshall can can just get that extra bit that she needs. And in another big fight for women's boxing, Tasha Jonas cemented her place as a two weight world champion. Yeah, I thought I thought Tasha Jonas was one of the fights of the night, performances of the night. Actually, um, she looked she looked so much better an opponent. I, I think she looked so much stronger, and, and she she bullied around the ring really, and um, you know the combinations, the speed of her combat, and the power as well. I, I thought you know that fight could have been stopped a lot earlier than it was. To be honest, it was. Um, she, she was comfortable. She really was comfortable in there, and uh, she's a tremendous athlete, isn't she? And uh, you know, she did uh, did as proud. Joe Gallagher had a big beard, smile on his face, and he looks a bit like Dracula these days. Joe Gallagher with his <laughs> gel pack, but um, but no, very very pleased for them. You know, they've got a really good gym, really good stable there, and Joe's done a great job with with many a fighter, and you know, he's really done a great job with uh, Tasha Jones. And another fighter who caught the attention of social media was Ben Whitaker. Not necessarily for the right reasons, of course. It's clear that he's absolutely fantastic stylistically. He's a breath of fresh air from a flashy point of view. But for some, it's tiresome. It's, it shows weakness in terms of how he's going to do as he goes up the levels. What did you make of him? Yeah, to be honest, I give a lot of credit to his opponent. I thought his opponent was really, really game, very, really, really tough. He took an awful lot of body punishment. And just just walk through it, really. To be honest with you, um, I thought Whitaker. He's a very very talented man. He's very very quick. He's got lovely hands. He's got lovely technique. Um, he sort of toys with 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 his, his opponent, but it's about levels. I mean, no disrespect to his opponent. He's probably not a great standard, really. I mean, he was he was a good game fighter, but not as you go up the levels, you're going to meet better people. I mean, I didn't think his opponent had the power. Really, he was not really hurting. Whitaker, where whereas you're getting with somebody up the levels, you've got to start going towards British level and, and what have you. You're going to meet some tough people in there and some tough school people who've been around the block, you know, and, and know all the tricks of the trade. So whether you'll be able to do that flashy stuff against them, you know, it only takes you to make one mistake and, and you you'll wind up on your backside and then you, you'll look a bit of a clown, won't you? So I think there's no doubt he's going to go far in the sport. You know, he's 26 years of age now, and I think they really want to progress him now, don't they? They were talking about his next fight, perhaps being a title fight, you know, British title fight. So uh, he's exciting, there's no doubt. I mean, I think sometimes it's a bit disrespectful, but he's entertaining. And, and, and Naz, Prince Nazi Mohammed was like that, and, you know, he was great to watch. So um, I think he adds a bit more glamour to the sport, but uh, he's got to watch it because he will one day meet his match. And, uh, you know, you won't go throughout your career and, and pummel everybody. You will get tough fights. And the last question of the day for you, Paul. Big fight announced for the United States of America. Canelo Alvarez is returning to the ring. It's not against David Benavidez. It's not against Jamal Charlo, who we all suspected it might be. It's against his twin brother, Jamel, who is stepping up two weight divisions to take on Canelo Alvarez. The older brother, Jamal, said that he will not be fighting Canelo due to his period of inactivity. So the little brother is stepping up two weight classes. 
a shock fight this one. Yeah, a real shock fight. It uh, wasn't one I was expecting. Um, I know a couple of lads I know, twin brothers who fought each other last year in a white collar, and that ended up a draw. And people, um, it really confused people why they were doing it. So, um, yeah, a, a real, a real shock, uh, a real shock, really, James. I don't really know what to make of it, to be honest. What do you got? How do you, you know, pull that one apart? I don't know. I mean, obviously, you've got to probably make. Canelo the favourite possibly at this point of view. I'm surprised that this always seemed destined to be Jamal's fight, not Jamel's. So it seems strange to me that the younger brother who, well, the younger brother, there's only a couple of minutes to separate them, but still the younger brother is having to step up two weight classes when this is his brother's weight class. It's all very strange. Yeah, it certainly is. It'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds, but, uh, but no boxes like that. Sometimes we get these these stories and these matches and you know, it all adds to the excitement of uh, of the sport. It most certainly does, Paul. And another sport that you know and love is rugby. And now I'm going to throw it over to Mr. Rob Parkinson. Yeah, let's talk rugby league and Salford Devils. Paul, Salford Devils were in action on Friday night away at Wakefield Trinity. Unfortunately, went down to defeat. Went down to defeat 32 points to six. Talk us through it, Paul. There's not a lot to talk you through, Rob, to be honest with you. I mean, we got a trial sort of late on in the second half from Alex Gerrard. Other than that, there was there was nothing. I thought they looked beaten before they went out, to be honest with you. I mean, there was an awful lot of talk in the week about who was out injured and supporters on the social media were, were sort of saying we were going to lose the game. And I think that was the mentality that everybody seemed to have, that, you know, that we weren't going to win. And I think when you, you talk that talk and, you know, it becomes in your head, doesn't it? And the players just didn't look like they were going to win the game. And I think Wakefield were absolutely desperate to win. You know, they're really strapping to survive. And I thought they played well. They looked rejuvenated, you know, with David Fafita coming in and Luke Gale. They had a lot of energy about them. They they played a simple game. They ran hard. They backed up. And their enthusiasm was a lot more than Salford's. And and that's the disappointing thing. You should never, ever get out enthused in sport. And and Salford did. And it was a very, very poor performance. And... um, yeah, I think Paul Rowley would be disappointed. I think he said it was the, the, the worst performance since he'd been in charge. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a disappointing night. Yeah. Can you put your finger on what is going wrong at Salford at the moment? Obviously, that's three defeats in a row. Um, obviously, we are towards the top of the table. I think we're still fifth. So, we are looking up rather than looking down. But we do need to get back to winning ways as soon as possible. Yeah, I think they dropped to six now, Rob. But right. Two points in front of... Um, the teams behind them and you've got Leeds who are four points behind so Hulk Air I think we're two in front of so at the moment we've still got a little bit of a gap so I think the next two games are, are season defining we've got Leeds and Lee at home you know two sides that are in and around us but Lee is second top actually but they're only two points in front of Solvers so that's how close it is so they're still you know they're still, still in a great position but uh, but like you said, putting your finger on it, I thought we was poor at all Kingston Rolls in the Challenge Cup. People say we had injuries against Wakefield, which is fair enough. We had injuries to the spine. We didn't against Hulk Air in the Cup. We had a full-strength side out there, really, and, and we was poor in that game. You know, we never got going. We looked off the pace. We got. I thought we got out enthused in that game. So, uh, against Wigan, we looked tired. Um, I'm not so sure what, what, what to pin it on, really, at the moment. I think... Losing the, the players in the spine, what didn't help. I think your back row is missing as well, uh, Shane Wright and Sam Stone. So there's there's a lot of mitigation in in, in there, you know, people missing and combinations. Brody Croft's out, Brian Briley's out. But there was still plenty of, of quality out there on Friday night. If you look at the team, you know, the likes of Tim Lafayette, Burgess, Callum Watkins, Oliver Partington. You can, you can name them all. There's loads of quality out there. Chris Atkin. There was enough to... 
to beat Wakefield. And I think there was enough to compete against Wakefield. I didn't think we competed. I thought we, the game was over after about 15, 20 minutes. You could see Salford weren't going to win. And that's what's going to disappoint Paul Rowley. And that's how how does he get the players back up for the game against Leeds? Because Leeds are on fire at the moment, playing some cracking stuff, scoring plenty of points. They're going to be cockroach coming to Salford on Sunday. Yeah, talking about Paul Rowley. I spoke to him after the game. I also spoke to Adam Sidlow and uh, Callum Watkins. And this is what they had to say. I'm joined by Callum Watkins' defeat tonight. Thoughts on that? Um, embarrassing to be honest, but just disappointing. Disappointing in how we played. I don't think we played direct. Uh, we didn't do what we planned, and uh, that's all down to us. Credit to Wakefield. I thought I thought they had a real dig. I thought you know they showed that they're fighting for their lives. Go down there at the bottom, and you know we didn't react well to that at yeah. all. So. Obviously, sort of the way we play, we like to move the ball about. The ball doesn't stick. Spiral, don't we? You think that was a sort of a thing tonight? With obviously the ball not sticking. You could say that. You could say a couple of things that go our way in terms of that, but that's from from us. That's that's our own downfall and our own um, you know standards that we set. So um, look, we have to move on pretty quickly from this. Um, it is disappointing, and we need to get things right. Um, we've had a couple of games now where we've we've been poor, so we need to you know turn that round. And I know I've got you know we've got the group there to to do that. Yeah, Leeds next week, your former club, opportunity to bounce back. Yeah, yeah, I think um, what we've got to do is move on from here, learn from our, what we did tonight, uh, which was, was, wasn't good enough, hold ourselves accountable and work hard in training and prepare for, for the next game against Leeds, which will be a big one, uh, especially at home, so um, hopefully we can bring a, a great card there uh, next week. Being a soul fan, does it hurt that little bit more that we got beat tonight? Just, yeah, it's anyway. <laughs> it's anyway that we that we lost, and I think the way we lost as well. I think the way uh, that first half went, I just don't don't think we were good enough at all. Um, but like you say, I got to give credit to Wakefield. But Wakefield played well, deserved the win, and we we got punished for how we played. Cheers for, cheers for talking to us and chin up. So joined by Adam Sidlow, defeat tonight. Thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, shocking from start to finish. Really, we didn't start well. We didn't finish well. Not enough commitment and respect for the opposition, and when you're aware, that's when they roll you over. Yeah, obviously we couldn't seem to get a sort of foothold in the game. Must be disappointing. Obviously, what was the chat like at half time, sort of in this changing room? We got an absolute roast, I'll be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it was. We just wasn't good enough. Uh, it was getting rolled, and uh, it was happy, and he absolutely gave us in cheering, which we deserved. We weren't good enough. Top, that's top and bottom of it. Yeah, sort of the way we play, you know, if the ball sticks, it, it, it works. Tonight didn't seem to stick, did it? Can you sort of put in your finger why? Yeah, we, we're trying to go around them and we, we need to go through them at first. And that's that's that respect we talked about. We, we think we can go around them and then we're making mistakes on the edge and then we'll come back through the middle and we're making more mistakes. So it's just not good enough from, from start to finish, like I said. And, the boys and the coaching staff are really unhappy with how we performed today. Yeah, no Brodie Croft, no Ryan Briley, Andy Acker's out as well. We're doing it tough, aren't we? Yeah, we're doing it tough, but we've got enough quality to, to win Super League games, but we've got to get in that grind, and we didn't at the beginning, and it just we couldn't catch up. We just got to roll on and just go try after try, and I can't reiterate anymore how, how bad we was and how bad we all feel. Yeah, Lee's next week, all opportunities to bounce back. Yeah, we beat them already, so they'll be all guns blazing and they're playing really well at the minute so we need to get on the training pitch and fix it because it's just not good enough and Leeds will be looking at that video and thinking they, they can do a number on us and we need to turn it around Brilliant, thanks for talking to us and unlucky time So I'm joined by uh, Paul Rowley Defeat tonight What's your, thought, what's your thoughts on that? 
Um, just beating fundamentals of the game really it wasn't a complicated game plan it was very simple when you do when you have a simple plan obviously we've got a lot of disruptions in a, some key players missing but, so we give them a simple plan but that uh, simple plan needs you to apply yourself in the you know in the right manner and that's basically since uh, since I started playing this game I were taught to run hard and tackle hard and, uh, and we didn't do that it's as simple as that yeah nothing seems to stick tonight I suppose that's the way we play but moments like sort of tonight sort of makes you think sort of, sort of why does it not stick all the time nah, it wasn't about not sticking it was about not running hard and not tackling hard it's right. as simple as that they ran over us uh, we had a lot of missed tackles it's as simple as that so uh, Wakefield conceded enough points uh, you know for a lot of points so uh it was it was never about creating magic to get round them. We wanted to go through them, uh, but like I said before, you've got to come with the right mentality and, and play with the right energy and enthusiasm. We knew they would have lots of it because it was the, effectively their grand final. We do or die. They're on a cliff edge, um, so we had to match that and more some, and we didn't. Thank you. Yeah, obviously still towards the top of the table, but obviously a long week now. Try and get a, try and get the boys back up again. Yeah, yeah, that's sport, isn't it? So we, uh, you know, we always get asked this question, same answer. That they're a good group. Um, we didn't really need to chat at the end of the game. It was all done at half time. Um, um, it's, but it's difficult when you start a game with the right amount of energy to and enthusiasm to put it in during the game. It's uh, you don't see many teams do that and change change that sort of mentality. But I think I think probably we've seen we wait till about 65 minutes and King caught a kick off. And, and skittled a few, and then and then I think Reese Williams and then Cal, and and effectively that was the blueprint for the game. I, I don't, you know, it, it took them 65 minutes to to bend the back and yeah. and, and run with a bit of vigour. Yeah, no Brody Croft, no Mac, uh, no Ryan Briley, no Andy Ackers as well. Uh, obviously, p- p- sort of major players in our in our spine, really. Yeah, and Stoney as well. So we've had four, but but. It's a squad game, isn't it? And uh, and that's where we'll always come unstuck. We, it's not a secret. We, we, we're always on a bit of a cliff edge with squad size. We have 26 players. Uh, a couple of them are season long now, obviously, in Shame Wright and Greeny, who's been out all year. So that's 24 players. It's... Uh, it's a short, rot- small rotation for keeping healthy bodies, you know. So Chris Atkin were jabbed up before a game as well. He's not trained all week with a foot injury there. So credit to him. Uh, as always, he, he, he put in a good stint. There were some good performers out there who never let you down. Uh, some people tried hard. Yeah. Thanks for talking to us tonight. Yeah. Chin up and we'll, we'll go again next week. Absolutely, Rob. Always. Cheers. Thank you. So all three, Paul, disappointed with the result. Paul Rowlett talked about how they didn't do the basics correct and you get punished if you don't, if you don't do that. Yeah, that's right. And it, and he's right. They, they didn't. I think the the players that you know didn't turn up and, and some very very poor individual performances. I think you can probably count Ken Seo Ken Seo out of that. I thought Ken Seo was tremendous and you know took the ball in and did everything right all night. So um, the rest of them poor in the forwards and it, it was like somebody waiting for somebody else to 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 do it. And they thought that many individual errors and knock-ons and mistakes. You're not going to win any game, are you? So the defense was poor. But credit Wakefield, I thought they were really enthusiastic and it's about how Salford approached this week now against Leeds. They've got to lift themselves and, you know, work really hard in training this week and, and put put some wrongs right. But the confidence is going to be low now as well. So that confidence needs to come. We need to get a good start against Leeds. You know, we need to get an early score, get the crowd behind us and, and start building again because if Leeds is to score first, your heads drop and we could be on the back of something else again there. So it's a, it's a big week this now. Yeah. Salford Red Devils Ladies Day were in action uh, this weekend uh, at the 
Salford Community Stadium on the community pitches. They played Featherstone Rovers and lost 30 points to 10. Uh, tries from Sage Bannister and Alex Simpson wasn't enough for Chris Bates' ladies to get the points. Featherstone are a good team. They lost to him in the Challenge Cup earlier on in the year, but unfortunately not able to avenge the defeat. No, no, a disappointing result that, you know, like you said, Featherstone are a good side, a seasoned team that have been together for a number of years and, you know, gave us a good game in the Challenge Cup, so that would be disappointing for Chris Bates and, and the team. It's been a tough run, hasn't it, last uh, last month or two and uh, they'll be open to bounce back as soon as possible, really. Yeah, and that's the important thing, obviously, going into the Super League from the Championship, different levels, there's a sort of semi-professional ladies in that league and our ladies are working hard and it's about closing the gap. Yes, yeah, it certainly is and, and you can't just close the gap over, over 12 months. It takes time, doesn't it? It's the same in any sport. So I think what they've done so far has been great. They've, you know, they've really laid a foundation there but you know, success isn't built overnight as I said so you're just going to keep working hard and, and improving it and getting, and getting better and getting yourself to that next level which I'm sure is what they're all trying to do so uh, so yeah, it's a work in progress Rob it's not something that can be done overnight Yeah, they play Barrow on Sunday at home on the community pitches 12 o'clock kickoff. off uh, Paul obviously a double header with the men who play like you say Leeds it'll be you know great for the people to get down there and support both teams yeah, it should be another good day. I've looked at the weather forecast for next week, like I always do. It's a bit cool this weekend, but I think the sun's coming back, isn't it? So it should be another good day down at, at Salford. I think there'll be there'll be stuff going on as well again. You know, some sort of events will be happening this week. I'm sure we'll find out. And it should be a big crowd as well. So it should be a good day. You know, it's great when you've got two games on as well. You can get down there a bit early and you know watch the uh, watch the ladies on the community pitch before you go in. So it should be a real carnival day again. And yeah, a, a pivotal weekend for both both the ladies and the men's team, really. Yeah, going to be exciting. Let's move on to the Swinton Lions. They were in action uh, this weekend and won. They beat Sheffield 30 points to 22. Uh, they were 10-22 down at half-time, but a second-round, second-half comeback by the Lions secure the points. Tremendous, Rob. You had a great win last week against Widnes. And, uh, and they're back to up with beating Sheffield Eagles and Sheffield have been been a really good side this season you know they're up you know the top end of the table they followed the last couple of weeks Sheffield and, and had a couple of um, couple of defeats but you know a couple of weeks ago they're up there second in the league so they're, they're challenging for a playoff place they've got some good players in that side you know Chris Wellham's in there Ben Jones Bishop who's played for Salford so they've got some real, real season pros in there Super League experience and like you said with um, them being down at half-time, they've come back and won the second half 18-0, I think, if my maths is, is any good. And uh, that's a great performance that from Alan Coleman's side. And that'll give them a lot of confidence that they're starting to, to pull away from the bottom of the table now. And, you know, I'm not saying they're going to march on to the playoffs, but they keep winning and, and, and performing. Who knows where they could end up this season? As long as they can pull away from that relegation zone, get themselves safe and, um, you know, start building for next year then. Yeah, Swinton's try scorers, George Robert, Mike Butt, Nick Gregson, and Joey Romeo. Like I said, Paul Romeo, Romeo, where for Alan Romeo scoring a winning tries for Swinton Lions by the look of it. Yeah, that's right. And and Mike Butt as well has been a tremendous try scorer for Swinton over the years, hasn't he? He's been there a number of years now, Mike. And, you know, he uh, he always seems to get on the score sheet as well. And, and uh, George Robert, another very talented player. They've got some really talented players in that side, some good youngsters as well. And uh, they're really building something there. He's, he's, we've said it all the time. Very, very tough league. But 
I think they're doing really well this season. They've had a couple of defeats. You know, uh, last couple of weeks, the Batley game was a bit of a setback, but the win last week at Widnes, I thought, was a great performance. And then to beat Sheffield Eagles as well, to back that up, you know, that's what it's all about, rugby league, sometimes. Once you've got a good result, you've got to back it up the week after and to, to build your momentum. And, you know, Swinton have started there really well with two good wins. Yeah, with a minute to go now, Paul, they face Featherstone uh, away on Sunday. That'll be a tough uh, contest for them. Yeah, that's going into the Lions Den at Featherstone. That'd be very, very tough. But uh, you know, you've got to go there focused and just do your best. You know, Featherstone will be expected to win that game comfortably. They've been blowing everybody away, haven't they? But they lost to Toulouse a few weeks ago and um, showed some frailties in that game. So, so yes, yeah, so we've just got to go and do the job. Yeah, with 30 seconds to go, the RFL uh, have announced a million pound loss in 2022. Not surprised with all the things going on. No, I'm not going to comment on that, Rob, because I don't want to get in trouble. But, uh, but no, not, not surprised with that one at all. No, it will be interesting to see how they recoup the money. Obviously, you know, rugby league being a family sport, they need as many clubs and as many sort of people involved. Um, so we'll have to see how that plays out. Just a quick one before I go. Uh, England cricket are 2-0 down in the Ashes uh, to Australia, despite a uh, tremendous innings from Ben Stokes. Unfortunately, not enough. And Australia lead by two games to nil. Big thanks for joining us on the Sports Zone on Soul City Radio. Don't forget, you can find us on at Soul City Radio on a Tuesday and on a Wednesday, talking all things sport in Salford. Big thanks for joining in, tuning in, and we'll see you soon for more Salford Sporting Chat. 